0: Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find one under the chair in front of you, and you can turn to page 902. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord.
1: All right, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here and online this morning. Before I get started with the message, I just wanted to introduce a new family to you. Hojin and Herenia got married yesterday. Could you just stand and we'll congratulate you? Stand, stand, There there you go. There they are. Congratulations, usually uh, if it was any other normal time, we would have all been there congratulating you, but uh, I assume many people saw all uh, you online. But congratulations, we pray for your marriage and your continued growth in love for one another, glorifying God. Uh, the next announcement I want to briefly give is a repeat of what Karen said about the retreat. And if you want to sign up, please do sign up online. And the whole private Uh, communal bathroom thing is just if you have let's say a family or you for some reason need to have uh, you can't use a communal bathroom then there is that option and so those are things that you can put and of course you know because of where we are the state of where we are if you are only comfortable rooming with a certain like you know group of people then you could also put their names make sure you you know collaborate with them so you don't just sign people up and then they have no idea That you wanted to room with them. So um, keep that in mind. I'm actually very excited for this upcoming retreat. I hope you are too. Let's continue to keep it in prayer. Let's begin this message with a prayer. Let your gospel, O Lord, come unto us in word but also in power and in much assurance and in the Holy Spirit that we may be guided into all truth and strengthened unto all obedience and enduring of your will with joyfulness, that abounding in the work of the faith and the labor of love and the patience of hope, we may finally be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This is uh, the third week we are on this passage, and it's just a brief overview and kind of a laying the base down of what spiritual gifts are. I tried to lay out in the last two weeks of how this has kind of become corrupted in our society today, what, you know, in our churches today even, some of them, not all of them. And so we have this confusion. In the podcast, a lot of the questions actually were about gifts, uh, you know, things like Words would be thrown out like cessationism or continuationism, which one do we side on, things like that. And I really thought there was a burden now to examine what those two words really mean. But first, to examine it, we need to understand what gifts are, what the purpose of the Holy Spirit is, what miracles are. And so last week, we went over the edifying gifts, and this week, we're going to go over the sign gifts. And there's a reason why we're going to separate these two, because there's a purpose to them, as we'll see today. I'll be going, I'll be going through multiple verses in the Bible, and you can just jot them down if you like, or because we have it recorded, you can easily just turn back and listen to the references that are made. Uh, the late R.C. Sproul would be asked many times, um, do you believe miracles happen today? And then it could be an easy answer. It could be an easy answer for a lot of us. You know, do you believe in miracles? Do you believe that miracles happen today? And if, you know, you were watching online Hojin and Herenia's wedding, you would have thought it's a miracle that Hojin got someone like Hrenia. I joke. Uh, But, uh, you know, these things, these kind of questions uh, would be asked of many people, not just myself, but the late R.C. Sproul as well. Do you believe miracles happen today? And he would say his simple answer to this is no. His simple answer to this is no, which shocks a lot of people. But he continues to go and elaborate. And I think the elaboration is important for us to learn. He doesn't believe you should, quote, expect a miracle, unquote. He doesn't believe you should expect a miracle because if miracles are expectable, then there is nothing miraculous about them. If you expect someone by that categorical definition, that means it is ordinary, right? And if ordinary, then they are not extraordinary. We have to make these differences. We need to parse the words. We need to make these separate distinctions because extraordinary is what miracles are. He specifically uses the word certifiable weight, when attributing significance to miracles. And so I would think then when what we mean by miracle would be a necessary place to start, right? We should understand what a miracle is. So by miracle, do we mean the supernatural? Do we mean something that is supernatural? Is that what we would consider a miracle? Because by saying, uh, you know, R.C. Sproul, you don't believe in miracles? Are you saying that God does not work in the world supernaturally? And of course, that is not what anyone, either myself or R.C. Sproul, would ever mean by saying that miracles do not occur today. You know, I believe that one of the greatest supernatural events that occur today is when God places life within the conception of a baby. And I think that is amazing. I think it's wonderful. I think it's awe-inspiring. I think it is a mysterious event. Every time we see one of the babies running around in the church today, there is a sense of wonder and joy that comes with that observation. And we may even call it the miracle of life. We believe that God still answers prayers. Many times God responds in a supernatural way. But I want to, what I want to start with today is the narrowing of the definition of miracle to sign gifts. Sign gifts. The sign gifts are miracles and supernatural. But not every supernatural event qualifies as a sign gift or miracle. Okay? The narrowing of the definition of miracle that I want to propose today is that these are sign gifts. These are separated because these are sign gifts. And while sign gifts are supernatural, not all supernatural events qualify as a sign gift. And so before we go any further, we should also note that not all things that are claimed as a miracle are actually miracles. New birth, okay, sure. But what about when you find that parking spot in the mall? It's a busy mall. I've heard some people tell me that they pray they could find a good spot, and bam, they find a spot two feet from the entrance. It's a miracle. I've heard people that said, I needed to pay the rent. This is getting a little more serious, but I need to pay the rent, and I didn't have enough money, and someone donated that cash amount that I needed to pay the rent that I owed. Wow, miracle. They would attribute it as a miracle. Um, My kid learned to walk in six months. I don't know. It's a miracle, right? So the question is, do these qualify as a miracle? Do all of these things qualify as miracles? And for today's message, we'll keep the definition of miracle and the sign gift really tight and narrow. There's a reason for that because what do we mean what do I mean by miracle then? So a miracle is not simply a work that is perceived in the natural world. A miracle is an extraordinary, supernatural intrusion that goes against natural law by the immediate power of God. That's the definition I'd like to give you. A miracle is an extraordinary, supernatural intrusion that goes against the natural law by the immediate power of God. It is a work only God can do. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, there's no way around it. Only God could have done this. For example, bringing someone from the dead to life, restoring a limb that was cut off, walking on water, turning water into wine. A miracle is a work that you would recognize that only God can do. It's not just dumb luck. Oh, I happened to find a good parking spot. I happened to find a hundred dollar bill on the floor. All these can be explained by natural law, but a miracle is an extraordinary, supernatural intrusion that goes against natural law by the immediate power of God. It's a work only God can do. So why should we hold on to this tight definition that theologians hold on to in regard to miracles? And R.C. Sproul says this in regards to that. If anybody can perform miracles, if anybody can perform miracles, If a person who's not an agent of divine revelation can perform a miracle, then obviously a miracle cannot certify an agent of revelation. Now, this is what I'm going to explain for the vast majority or the part of this sermon. So it's important that we get this. If anybody can perform miracles... If a person who's not an agent of divine revelation can perform a miracle, then obviously a miracle cannot certify an agent of revelation. This is important because people in the Bible, when they would perform a miracle or a sign, it was to certify that they were divine agents of revelation. If a non-agent of revelation can perform a miracle or sign, then a miracle cannot authenticate that agent of revelation. Which means that the apostles and even Christ's claim would then be false. What Christ and the apostles were saying would be false and it would be unverifiable. If anybody can perform a miracle, and I'm, I know you might be like, that, that's a pretty strong statement. It's not my statement, it's their statement. God himself has said that signs would accompany the Messiah. This would certify Jesus' Messiahship. What is at stake when we think that anything like finding a spot in the, you know, a parking spot in the mall is a miracle? What is at stake is the authority and authenticity of the Bible. You know why you wouldn't see miracles or signs by this definition today? Because according to the Bible, if you saw them happen today, you would still see apostles running around right now. Miracles stop, then, at the end of the apostolic age. Let me backtrack so that we're not confused. Hopefully, we're still all uh, on track here. God is alive. He is working. He still answers prayers. People do get healed from terminal cancer, from the prayers of the saints. But still, there are no cases of arms going back, the dead coming to life, pastors walking on water, or the Koei water filter dispensing communion wine, as much as we would want that. There is a reason for that. And B.B. Warfield, in his book, Counterfeit Miracles, begins with these words. When our Lord came down to earth, he drew heaven with him. The signs which accompanied his ministry were but the trailing clouds of glory which he brought from heaven, which is his home. The number of the miracles which he wrought may easily be underrated. It has been said that, in effect, he banished disease and death from Palestine for the three years of his ministry. If this is exaggeration, it is pardonable exaggeration. We ordinarily greatly underestimate his beneficent activity as he went about, as Luke says, doing good. His own divine power by which he began to found his church he continued in the apostles whom he had chosen to complete this great work. Jesus did miracles. Why did Jesus do miracles? Why did Jesus perform the signed gifts? Because when Jesus did his first miracle in the Gospel of John, he turned water into wine. And you might all be familiar with the story of the wedding at Cana, when Jesus would turn water into wine because they ran out of wine. But what you won't see, and it's depicted in so many movies, it's parodied parodied in movies, it's a funny thing when you see water turn into wine. But what you won't see in the movies was what the ultimate motivation for Jesus was to turn water into wine. What was the motive behind that? In John chapter 2, verse 11, it says this. This, meaning the, the water into wine, that miracle. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Why? To manifest his glory. That meant through this sign or miracle, he had meant to reveal himself and to reveal himself as God. Miracles are confirming signs that God is being revealed. In John 5:36, it says, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, meaning John the Baptist, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Miracles bear witness to Christ's purpose and his work. How do you know that God the Father sent Jesus, the very works, the miracles that he is doing. In John chapter 20, verse 30, it says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Why? In order that you might believe that Jesus... That Jesus what? Believe that God has revealed Himself in Jesus. Jesus did miracles to prove that God was being revealed as His living Word. Living Word. Jesus is the living Word, and that was what was being manifest when we saw a sign or a miracle that Jesus did. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. In Acts 2:22, Peter says this in his sermon that we've read in the Pentecost. He says, "Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs." That means miracles. That's how God attested that Jesus was the Messiah by mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. You know these things happened. You were there. How does God attest something by mighty works, wonders and signs? One of these words, mighty works, is the word dunamis, which where we get dynamite, which means power. Wonders and signs, they occur together. Like every time the word wonder comes up in the Greek, it is always accompanied By signs, wonders and signs. It occurs actually 16 times in the New Testament. And every time wonders comes up, it's accompanied by the word signs. It's because that these shows of power and miracles are for a singular purpose. We find this all throughout Scripture. When God wanted people to know that it was really him speaking, how do we really know it's you? When God wanted to know that it was really him speaking, God did miracles so that people would know that this had to be God. That's the purpose. That's the point. Jesus' miracles were to reveal God's approval of his attestation. Jesus' miracles revealed that he is God. Now, there are only certain times when God does miracles or signs. How many years did Jesus perform miracles? Three years. Then how many years did Jesus not perform miracles? At least 30 years. For 30 years of his life, he did not do any miracles. Now, there are a few apocryphal writings that means outside the canon of the bible that say he would make like clay pigeons and he would blow on them and they would come to life and fly away like you know some kid was making fun of him and he went ah and the uh, other kid died and like those are apocryphal writings these are not uh, bible writings some other apocryphal writings, if you come across them, have said that like, he, as a, as a young man, would make things instantly for his father Joseph to help his business. It's like, oh, you don't have wood? And wood, you know, that kind of thing. But that isn't so. Jesus never did a single miracle for the first 30 years of his life. How do we know this? Because of what we just read in John chapter 2, verse 11, when he turned water into wine, it says this, the first of his signs. First means there was nothing before it. He didn't do any sign miracles before. That means there was a time when Jesus did not perform miracles. Why is this important? Because it proves that God did not intend for all ages and all time periods to have miracles. Only it only happens when God gets ready to reveal himself. And Jesus never revealed himself until he began his ministry after his baptism then the miracles began and it lasted for his 3 years of ministry even in the old testament there really there are really only two ages of miracles and while there have been a smattering of miracles here and other places and there in other places there are only really two places where it's heavily concentrated. If you were going to look at miracles as like points and dots in a graph, you would see it all culminate here at one point and all culminate here at another point. There will be smatterings of others, maybe one or two, and maybe even none for hundreds and hundreds of years. First, that first point was with Moses, with the giving of the law. We've read Exodus. There are a ton of miracles and signs that God is. There's only things that God could do. Like there is no way natural law can explain the parting of the sea. There is no way. And it was, they were walking on dry ground. That only God can do. And that was all, it wasn't the only thing. There were so many. So first was with Moses and the giving of the law. And the second was Elijah and even a little bit to Elisha, and that was with the laying down of prophetic revelation. It was the laying down of prophetic revelation through God's prophets. I don't believe it's any coincidence that both Moses and Elijah received major revelations, these major revelations of God on the mountain. And it is on the mountain that they accompanied the transfigured Jesus, the sign confirming that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. The fulfillment of the law and the prophets are in Christ. Commentators would make note that if you are really looking and comparing the two events, that Moses' face, remember in Exodus, Moses would talk to God and his face would shine so brightly. The people like, please, Moses, your face is like burning my eyeballs, please cover your face. And he would put a thin veil over his face because the glory was so bright. When Jesus was transfigured on that mountain, his glory shone so brightly that his clothes could not contain it. The glory and the illumination from his transfigured body went through his clothes. Moses and Jesus are not in the same category. Jesus is the complete and perfect fulfillment of the law and the prophets. In between these prophets, there was a scarce showing of miracles to none at all. By the time you get to the end of the Old Testament, there were no miracles. It wasn't miracles all day or day like some people would want you to believe in the life of a believing community. It's miracles everywhere. I just pick one out of my pocket. There was a time and place And it was specific to what God wanted to reveal. And he confirmed his written word and living word by accompanying it with signs and miracles. And so just as the late Dr. Sproul would say about expecting miracles, expecting miracles would mean to expect, then, new revelation. If you expect new miracles, that means there is new revelation about to come. And I don't think most people who quote-unquote expect miracles think along these terms. They should, though, but I don't think they do. But even if we went with the train of thought that there are miracles -er every day, it is to such a degree where it would be made commonplace and then lose its significance. None of them then mean anything. And besides, then there's no way to have its legitimacy Evidenced. These so-called miracles, even the more fantastical ones, are not evidence-based, and most, if not all, are performed under spiritual hype. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 53 to 58, it says this, And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so, they were, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works, dunamis? Is is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Notice in the passage that I read here that Jesus was already doing mighty works in verse 54. But by the end of the passage, he says he didn't do many mighty works because of their unbelief. Signs and miracles then, this is a point I want to make, signs and miracles do not generate faith. Signs and miracles do not generate faith, God generates faith, and it's the people of faith that get to witness the miracles of God to further confirm the authenticity of God's word. That means that God uses miracles to authenticate the preaching of God's word. That's why you see this in Corinth happening. All this mess in Corinth was happening. There's so much there's so much mess in Corinth. When I continue to read the letter to the Corinthians, Paul is so gentle. He's gentile. He's so kind. He's so, like, taking care of them as they were little kids that didn't know anything. But the mess was happening in Corinth. This is why we see things like these three chapters on the spiritual gifts, because people were messing it up in Corinth. But Jesus is God. Jesus is God. It was written down by the apostles. And then what happens? You see the gift fading away. Jesus had the ability to do miracles. He gave his apostles the same ability. Why? It was to authenticate the preached word. That's why even Nicodemus, the Pharisee, in John chapter 3, he would say to Jesus these words, Nicodemus, the Pharisee would look and find Jesus and say this, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. They knew who Jesus was. They knew who Jesus was. Anyone can claim that they are from God, but they needed to be confirmed by God, and that was done through signs. Here's a side note. Now, if anyone or someone claims to be a prophet of God today, all we have to do is confirm and compare him or even her with the written word. If anyone claims to be a prophet today, what we do is compare and confirm with the written word. But before the word was written, the attestation of its truthfulness of God came from signs it came through signs that's why we say that miracles or the sign gifts authenticate the living word who is christ and authenticate the written word from his apostles these are the only two groups who ever did miracles there is one degree of separation from the apostles who did perform some signs but again it was to authenticate the apostles like when the laying of hands they would receive the holy spirit we talked about the many pentecost that happened it was to authenticate what god has said that he would do through the apostles signs like every other gift that we have talked about signs like every other gift that we have talked about then have a purpose see Listen, when I get up and preach God's word or God's truth to you, I don't need miracles because I have the revelation here which substantiates itself and becomes the confirmer of the words that I am speaking. But in those days, there were no written revelation. Miracles did that. And this is noted also in Acts chapter 8. Many of you may know him as Simon Magus, But Simon the magician is noted in Acts chapter 8. He saw that the people that the disciples laid their hands on received the Holy Spirit. And so we went over the many Pentecosts that were happening last week. Simon saw what was happening and he offers the disciples money to receive this dunamis, this power. Give me this power too. Here's some money. And this is how Peter responds. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter. Listen, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Wait, Alma, that that was crazy. Let me get on this too. Can I offer you a nice donation? And then Peter rightly points out that this man who wants power understands nothing. He understands nothing about signs and gifts. He understands nothing, and he is in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. He didn't know what was going on. He didn't understand what the sign gift was for, and he was severely rebuked for it. Why this distinction? And is is shown in the Bible. It is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 12. Paul goes again, "The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works." There is this combination of words again here. The signs showed who a true apostle was. A true apostle didn't just do one sign. Didn't fail either. It's not like I guess i got to work on this gift. As I'm not really that good at it. When Jesus would send out the apostles, and then he would send out the 70, they would be coming back. He's like, even demons are subject to what we say. Like, when we go get out, they have to do it. There was no, like, eh, you know. Why? Why? To confirm the word that they were preaching. And this is why the sign gifts have ceased Because if it is still continuing, then the word is still being revealed and the Bible is incomplete and we need to continue to keep adding to it. But if you add to it, then Revelation chapter 22, verse 18's curse is on you where you receive all the plagues that are written in the book. You know, some people today still think that God is revealing himself because miracles are still going on. They get revelations of God While they sit on their porches of their houses, Jesus comes up to them and says something like smells like up dog in here and they joke around a little bit. There are leaders who claim to have met Jesus while they were watering their flowers or something like that. I I seriously read this account where Jesus came to meet someone. He wanted to say something but He knew that he had to wait until she was done watering her flowers. What a respectable Jesus, huh? That's insane. That is insane. In another vision, Jesus apparently took her up to another dimension and showed her the state of the churches from Jesus' point of view. This is crazy. I'm, I'm amazed that this person is one of the most well-known teachers in the American church today. This is insane. I've read other accounts where people share stories of visions that they've had chatting a few hours with Jesus and then him saying, I got to go now, as if he was like, he's on this schedule. I got to go now, but don't worry, I'm going to leave your angel with you. This, these were her words. That Jesus left her angel with her. And she notes how she giggled it up with her angel sharing jokes. Do you understand how crazy this is? The crazier thing is that they are sure that it was God who gave them that vision. This is what the Corinthian church was also suffering from. Something crazy happens, and like, it's gotta be the Holy Spirit. You can't deny me of my experience. I've had this experience, Fuge. I know what I saw. I know what I felt. And the simple response could be this. When an experience occurs, I don't have to doubt that you've had this experience. When an experience occurs, do you always, without question, know that it is of God? When an experience occurs, do you always, without question, know that it is of God? And if you're honest, you will say no. And if people are honest, they'll say no. And then you can ask, could it then be of Satan? And of course, the answer is yes, it could. But here's the real question How can you tell the difference? How can you tell the difference between a vision? even if it had all the fluffy angels that you could ever imagine, and you giggled with all of them all afternoon because they were your angels. How can you tell the difference? And the charismatics have no answer to that. And that's exactly where the Corinthians were at too. If we believe that revelation is closed because God is not revealing his word anymore, it's done. It's finished then there is no need then for a constant flow of miracles to be happening right now. Chrysostom, the early church father, and he was a church father in uh, 400 AD, and this is significant that he would write it at 400 AD, but the early church father lamented in his writings that Paul didn't clearly cut off sign gifts like healing, prophecy, and tongue. He lamented. He's like, I wish Paul would have been just super clear on this. But during Paul's writings, mind you, the letter to the Corinthians were one of the earlier letters written. The gifts were already tapering down. We see in the progression of Paul's writings, even when I went over Heteros and Alos and to another and to another last week, we see the tapering down of these gifts. When you get to Paul's later epistles, they aren't even there. You don't find miracles. You don't find signs. People get sick and guess what? They stay sick. He goes, take a little wine for your stomach troubles. He doesn't go, here's my handkerchief. I'm going to mail it to you. And even when Paul gets sick, guess what? He stays sick. This tapering would have shown anyone paying attention to the canon that the canon was then closing and that the revealed word of God was almost complete. Ah, but... Someone may ask, what if people don't believe in the Bible? What if they don't believe in the Bible? It's just an old book, right? They don't believe in the Bible, right? Jesus gave a parable of the rich man who lived whatever way he wanted. And there was a poor beggar named Lazarus outside, got nothing. He would long for the crumbs to fall off this rich man's table. That is... That is, if, if any, that is the epitome of patheticness. To long for crumbs to fall off someone's table so you might be able to get a few crumbs in your mouth and you lived your whole life like that. And that is the epitome also of pride and arrogance. Lack of compassion. That rich man didn't even care about Lazarus. But in this parable... When Abraham is talking with the rich man, and Abraham is in heaven, there's a great divide, and then the rich man is in hell. The rich man goes to Abraham and goes, can you do me a favor? And can you perform signs, it says, can you perform signs or miracles to his brothers so that he wouldn't end up in hell like he was? So did Abraham go, yeah, yeah, man, I don't want anybody to end up like you, so let me go and perform signs and miracles. Is that what Abraham said? Is that what Jesus said that Abraham said in the parable? No, it wasn't. This is what Abraham said in Jesus' parable. He says, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. There's the three right there in the transfiguration. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced that someone should rise from the dead. Miracles and signs were for a limited time a confirmation of revelation. Why? A sign gift is exactly that. It's a sign. A sign points you somewhere. Once you get there, you don't need that sign anymore. You're already there. If you saw a sign that points an arrow, you don't take that sign and carry it around with you. If you are actually at the destination, a sign points to somewhere, and once you get there, you don't need that sign because you are already there. The famous Puritan Richard Baxter said, Since the primary purpose for which miracles were performed in biblical times is no longer operative, it is reasonable to believe that miracles performed through the agency of man as in Bible times no longer are seen on the earth today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, we see this in the second clump of the person, the working of miracles that it was translated dunamis, power, was given to that second person in the clump the prophet, right? Power, we see in Luke, in places like Luke chapter 4, verse 36, that gifts of miracles are always connected with the revelation of God. It doesn't matter where you look, you can look at Mark chapter 5, chapter 7, Matthew chapter 9, verse 31 to 33, Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 to 33, Luke chapter 9, verse 42. When they saw the power of God, they were amazed at the power of God because the power of God destroyed Satan. The power of God was connected with the victory over Satan. And so we see that miracles were victory over Satan and victory over physical-induced illnesses. And that's why in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus gave the apostles that power, miracles, when it comes to curing diseases and, and also casting out demons. The question is, why? Why? And you'll see in the Bible, like in Luke chapter 10, it's to preach the word of God. It's to preach the good news of God. It's to preach the gospel. It's to preach the word of God. These are people that Christ and the apostles personally commissioned and this shows that he is God. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, it, it starts to, Christ starts to talk as he commissioned, he's like, "Wow, even the demons are subject to us." And you know what Jesus says? He's like, "Good job. He doesn't say that. He goes, "I saw Satan fall down like lightning from heaven." What does that mean? He's like, "I kicked Satan out of heaven myself. I booted him out." So I get, I'm giving you the authority to show you that I ultimately... And the person with authority. It points to Jesus' authority and power. And this is why we are now to understand that if you have issues, problems, let's say even if you're demonically possessed, what is the answer? And if you don't know Jesus, the answer is believe in Jesus. And there may be some that are like, you know what, I actually am tempted all the time. I feel like I'm being oppressed. Uh, by even the devil, what do I do? And it's all over the Bible. If you believe in Jesus, if you don't believe in Jesus, you have to believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus and you believe that you are now being oppressed, then it says all over, in James it says, resist the devil. In Ephesians it says, take on the whole armor of God. In 1 Peter chapter 5 it says, remain steadfast. In 2 Timothy it says, live a pure life. The Word of God is empowering you to be able to live the way that God wants you to live. You see, miracles were never the issue when people didn't believe in the Bible. Well, you know, I need miracles because I just need that attestation that you're talking about. If that's the case, then you have to realize that they were never the issue in the Bible. 20, over 24,000 people got food from this incredible show of Jesus breaking two fish and five loaves. But they came back. And you know what Jesus goes? He knows that they didn't believe. He's like, you just came back for more food. One of the greatest miracles that Jesus did was to raise a man from the dead after he had been decomposing. He goes, Lazarus, come out! And people saw that. They're like, Whoa, that's another level. And what did they do after that? What did they do after that? They plotted even harder to kill Jesus. In Acts chapter 14, Paul healed this crippled man, and what did they do there? They tried to kill him. All these miracles that we really want, the real question is, why do you want them so much if the true point of the sign gifts is exactly that. It's a sign to point to something when we have what it pointed to. You know, I mentioned uh, Chrysostom would, you know, say he would lament that people people were still very confused about miracles. And this is true because that was right about when the Roman Catholic Church really got established. The Roman Catholic Church really got established a little after three hundred AD and around 400 A.D., you would see all these so-called miracles popping up. And if you had, now the Roman Catholic Church, they would say you need to have two miracles, or one really big one, if you want to be verified into sainthood. That's why, if you want to be a saint, you need to be verified through at least two miracles, or one big one, right? Because sainthood meant that you would be approved by God and went straight up to heaven. You didn't spend time in purgatory or something like that. There were all these miracles that you can read about in the history of the Roman Catholic Church. And they're all... And you might, you might have thought, like, oh, you know, the porch story, all that story, those, things, those stories are crazy. I actually even read one about uh, the Holy Spirit that came down and looked like an octopus and it was just shooting ink everywhere. I was like, I don't know what is going on, and I can't believe people are equating this with Christianity. They're out of control. But, you know, it's nothing new. That's my point. Um, you can look up. The, one of the most, this, this is these are out there. These are out there. You might actually be offended, but this is real. This is what the Roman Catholic Church believes as well, there's something that you can look up called the Engraving of the Lactation of St. Bernard. The engraving of the Lactation of St. Bernard. It's when the Virgin Mary, the statue of the Virgin Mary is shooting milk out of her right breast into the eye of St. Bernard of Clairvaux, which apparently miraculously cured his eye affliction. He had some eye affliction. And this is, this is crazy. I, like, I, was, I was writing this. Like, I feel very uncomfortable saying all this stuff. But this is actually what people believe as doctrine. And people believe that this is what happens today. These are the miracles that we should look for. Another saint, if you cut him open after he died, he had milk and blood infused in his veins because he was sustained by this miracle milk from Mary in heaven. And they would write about this. See, I want us to know the difference between the sign gifts And the gifts that we have now that is going to edify the church. Otherwise, I don't know how we are different from those that think we can get milk from Mary. And while this may be foolish, the dangers are far greater than this. The abuse of this has gone too far. We as people of God have to turn back to the word of God and see what the word of God is saying and showing his people and while it is God's prerogative on how he dispenses the gifts, it is God's prerogative how he dispenses the edifying gifts and the sign gifts, they all have a purpose which we can see from the Word. The Spirit and the Word must be in line together. And I want us to know that because this affects our testimony. I want us to know that because this is what we show the world as Christians, what we are about. Everything that we do then is a sign and effect. It's a sign that points to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And what is that? It's our proclamation now, our proclamation that points back to the Word of God, which shows us the living Word of God. I have said earlier, um, some pastors have actually taken this this passage and preached maybe seven passages on it. I tried my best to to do it in a short three. And next week, Pastor Paul is going to go on to show uh, what Paul says about the Holy Spirit functions in the church and the body of Christ and things like that. He's going to continue because Paul is going to continue. It doesn't stop here. Paul is going to continue to talk about certain kinds of gifts that were being abused that people didn't understand. But what I really want to do is I really want to lay the foundation. And I want us to know that signs and gifts, they all have a purpose. The purpose is to glorify God, and glorifying God is shown to us in the Word of God. Let us not get confused and carried away. We don't believe in things like the Holy Spirit is an octopus shooting ink. We don't believe that we can get milk from a dead person. There is no reason for us to believe this because it doesn't point to anything. I won't just make up stuff to say, no, this actually points to God. It does not. In fact, fact, I believe it detracts and takes away because we are pointing to our own sainthood in a sense. And this is not what we do. The bride points to the bridegroom the church points to Christ as her head. And we want to show that in the world today. It is because of him we have breath. It is because of him we have life. And the promise that we've been given that we can live with him now to eternity is something that we will for eternity look upon, revel in, be in peace over, and overflow in abundance of joy praise be to god that he brings us to himself when it is so undeserved when we mess up every single time when we misconstrue discombobulate take apart and put put it back together the way things it shouldn't be but praise be to god the holy spirit is guiding his church even in this very moment showing us what his word is saying pointing us to jesus christ that we may be living sacrifices for him let's pray Lord, we thank you for this time that you've given us to show us how good and kind you are, how merciful you are, and how patient you are with us. Just as we see this incredible patience being played out from Paul to the church in Corinth, we also know that you are incredibly patient with us. So help us as we turn to your word week by week, day by day, moment by moment, Help us and have our hearts and understandings open so that we may receive what you have for your people, be transformed by your word, and be ever sanctified daily by it. Let's take this time to pray and let's pray a prayer of thanksgiving to God for what he has given us by his Holy Spirit. By his Holy Spirit, we are secure, we are complete, we are lacking in nothing, we are not in want. This is the promise that he's been given us, given to us, and by his holy spirit we saw why certain gifts were given in a certain period. It is ultimately to encourage you the saints here as well to give him ultimately the glory. Let's pray a prayer of thanksgiving and if there's anything that you would confess of maybe perhaps you thought signs and gifts were for yourself to point to yourself, let's pray a prayer of confession of repentance as well. But Let's pray pointing to our hearts to God at this time.